Hello and welcome to Real Talk for Mums. Two personal trainers coming together through birth trauma to bring laughs, tears and a lot of real talk around the health and well-being of mums. Unedited, raw and unapologetically ourselves, Mags and myself, Lara, aim to empower mums with the knowledge and support they deserve to live their best lives. Come join us for a new episode every week. Hello, everybody. I am flying solo today because Mags can't make it. Um, but I have the lovely Hemi today with us. Um, we are we're just chatting just before about how much we're going to cover today in a small space of time. Um, but I'm really excited to go through a few things around um, food and starvation and calorie counting. We're going to dive deep. And I just want to introduce Hemi and you just go through what you are actually all about. <laughs> hey, Lara, thank you so much for having me. And hello, everybody. And so um, I work as a holistic health coach. And uh, these days I really am focused on helping people heal their painful relationship with food and body image. And uh, what brought me here? Well, I, um, I've worked as a, a, in media. I worked as a, a fitness a TV bombshell, whatever. I was online teaching exercise and, um, and also holistic health um, back in the early 2000s uh, when the concept of a, of a fitness influencer wasn't even a thing. There was no social oh. media back then. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I've um, worked with uh, people that were very sick um, throughout my career. And uh, a lot of those problems came from their relationship with food and with body image. Um, also, I've uh, owned a gym. I mentor holistic health and fitness professionals. I've lectured across the world in health and fitness. I've um, written articles for different mainstream magazines. And I've also, um, um, I'm an author and I've created my own uh, system and program called Seven Body Basics. So, and I yeah, want you to share that at the end for everyone because then people will just be like, wow, how do I get hold of you? <laughs> Um, I love that um, just before we were talking about how we're actually going to share how to understand what works for your own body, because so many people are trying to do these diets and especially a mum after having babies, you've got this new body and you're like, OK, well, I have to get back into shape. So the common thing seems to be from my experience as well, starve yourself um, because you say that I don't have time because I'm running around after my children. Um, and then you thrash yourself in the gym when already you're on this high stress because you're not sleeping very well. Um, and it's just trying to change that pattern. And I love what you were saying just before around um, why we do that to ourselves. So that's why we're going to share. But I I want to step back a little bit just so that people can put in perspective what's, what you do. So you've worked out what works for your body. Um mm -hmm. And I I just want you to share what you actually eat, just to put things in perspective. So people understand that you are your healthiest version eating this yeah. way because you understand what works for you. Right. So I'm 46 years old. And, um, and you look 30. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> when I, 
I have zero cosmetic procedures, like zero. What you see from top to bottom is basically me. The only thing is I use a spray. I could literally eat the ingredients that makes my grays look golden. Really? Um, I need to get yeah. in with that afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. Everything else is just basically me. So, um, so yeah, so when I was 18 years old, I decided to go on a vegan diet and, uh, and I ate that way for eight years. So this was 1995. Wow. So put that into perspective and I was, I'm from Colombia, South America and everybody was like, what are you doing? Um, (laughs) and, (laughs) and then I was like, okay, well, you know, and today it's just so popular, right? But back in the day, it was like so out there and so crazy. So I did that for eight years and um, it destroyed my body. It destroyed my body. And uh, I remember this is actually uh, how I met my mentor. I went to one of his uh, lectures and it was on food. And, um, you know, I, after the lecture, I said to him, I love everything that you had to say, except that, you know, we should eat animals because we're not designed to eat animals. And, you know, and I gave him the whole, you know, (laughs) vegan spill. And, um, (laughs) and then he looks at me and he goes, you know, in my 20 something career of rehabilitating people, including vegans, vegetarians, they had, you know, all these different health challenges. And so he listed a whole bunch of things that at the time I, you know, I recognized the symptoms he was giving, but I didn't know what a lot of those things that he was describing were uh, as far as. think it was your body? Like that, huh? Did you just think it was your body then? Just you? No, I, I thought that I was the, 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 the epitome of health. Oh. You know, I thought I was super healthy. And he just, he just gave me a laundry list of, issues that he had helped his clients recover from after being on a vegan diet and I was like I didn't know what most of those things like thyroid issues blah, blah, blah. but he listed the symptoms and I was like okay check 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 um and then um you know it was such a difficult uh conversation because at the end he goes and by the way you have them all and I was like, how dare you? <laughs> you know I mean? like, um, so then, but he planted some seeds of doubt. And then, you know, I go home and then I start really paying attention to my body. And I'm like, oh my God, like, yeah, this is happening. Oh yeah, this is happening. And um, it took me about eight months of research to put a piece of meat in my mouth. Yeah. And, um, you know, they told me that, oh, my God, you're going to get so sick if you ever do that again, because meat is disgusting and your body can't break it down. And, you know, just all these different things. And um, and I, by the way, I tried to tweak my vegan diet in every way that you can think of. Like I've done raw foodism. I've done food combining. I've done like you uh, complete proteins, like you name it, like nothing made me feel better. It was just like everything would just make me feel worse. So then I said, okay, well, I'm going to give this thing a try. The first time that I put that piece of meat in my mouth, it was like, I felt like I had eaten for the first time in eight years. Wow. Because I would have to eat so much food in order to get some sense of, you know, like satiety, but it wasn't the satiety. It was just, my belly was just so bloated and so, you know, like I was so full that it was, it was, it wasn't satisfaction. It was fullness does that make sense yeah and and when I ate this piece of meat like I was so shocked 
because of the small amount and how satisfied I actually felt and not just satisfied, but emotionally stable. I didn't have cravings. I was, you know, like I concentrate. I was like, what? So this you know, wasn't so- happening when you were vegetarian, you couldn't concentrate. No. You were bloated. You were. I was a mess. So I'll just walk you through a quick, you know, uh, list of the symptoms that I was experiencing. So uh, after eating, I like, first of all, I had to eat like every 30 or 40 minutes, sorry, 30 minutes to an hour, because I was hungry all the time. I had massive sweet cravings. So I didn't eat sugar or sweets like that. But I would get all that from starchy foods, like natural starchy foods, and also from uh, fruits. Mm. So like I was eating like a ton of fruit. And um sorry stepping back um people would then label you as you've got just a high metabolism I've heard that so many times Uh, well we can we can talk about that because one of the things that actually does happen in my body is that um my body burns through carbohydrate very quickly so in order for me to feel stable I need to eat foods that are more sustaining like fat and protein like animal fat animal protein so that I can actually feel sustained. Mm. Does that make sense? Instead of just having this sugar high, then followed by a sugar crash, and then a sugar high, sugar crash, which by the way, is extremely damaging to the hormonal system. So I was I was eating and I would feel sleepy. I mean, energized for a little bit, and then I start to crash. Then I would feel uh, hungry quickly. I had cravings for fruit and, you know, sweet foods. Uh, I would have, um, I couldn't really concentrate very well. I would get very spacey and then I would get um, um, bloated and really gassy. Mm. So n- not only that, but I was cold all the time. So I, um, my my hands turned orange, like literally orange. Um, I was... So today, um, you guys understand kilos, right? Yeah. So I'm like 170 centimeters, roughly 169, 170. And I was um, 47 kilos. Today, I'm like 60 kilos, just yeah. to put it into perspective. But why? Because I could not extract nutrients from those foods because my body is not really suited to break down a lot of plant food my body's really suited to break down fat and protein which is a complete opposite to what I was told um and um and so it caused a lot of gas bloating inflammation um and I had malabsorption like problems with digestion I couldn't absorb those nutrients so I just got extremely skinny and so people would see me and they would think oh my god like amazing you're so skinny they didn't know that it was because I was, well, I didn't know either. either. I was malnourished. I had vitamin B12 deficiency. Um, I started to, one of the things that really scared me was that I started to get neurological symptoms and I started to get tingling in my hands and feet. Um, Yeah, I I had, well, the blood sugar issues. So I was like on my way to a pre-diabetes or a pre-diabetes or a a diabetes. From being Um, vegetarian. Yeah, my periods, I could not function for two days because the cramps were just debilitating, like completely debilitating. 
Um, so my digestion, my hormonal system, like I was like an emotional roller coaster. Um, that's not wellness. No way. You know, that's not what I but signed up thin. for. It means you're healthy. Exactly. Exactly. I was thin and my skin was pretty. And um, yeah, and I was very righteous. <laughs> <laughs> righteous and angry with the world and, you know, the meat eaters, the murderers and, you know, and all that stuff. And um, and then I had a very humbling experience. And so when I um, when I started to realize that I needed to like eat meat um, and it was so hard and I realized, oh, my God, I am not eating a, ve- a vegan diet. I am a vegan. My entire sense of self is attached to an ideology. And I had to put myself in a position of my ego and the attachments that I have to these ideas and and this philosophy or my life. Because on the path that I was going, like I was really, really sick. And I didn't even like I thought all these things were normal. Um, I had alterations in my microbiome. I mean, I was a wreck hormonally, neurologically, um, from a digestive perspective, like just a mess. And, um, and that experience was one of the things that allowed me to understand what a painful relationship with food is, because it was not about okay, let me self-discover. Let me become an expert in myself. Let me understand what works for me. No, it was, I gave my power away to a series of experts outside of me. And then now I was in loyalty to these people. And um, basically I built a tribe, identity, everything around this. And now where I was in a health crisis and realized that this wasn't working for me, then now you know, like all that had to be dismantled. And then I had to go on a, on a real healing journey and uh, discover and become an expert in my body and discover, okay, well, what works for me? And at that time, you know, I, I started doing work with my mentor, who's, his name is Paul Check, And, um, and then I started to understand that we all have different, um, you know, like our bodies are all very different and that we respond very differently to food, and that I am one of those people that is like a carnivore, basically. Like most of my food comes from animal fat and protein. And I'm 46 years old. I do not diet. I do not count calories. I do not, I do not weigh food. I do not um, um, count grams or do any such things. I just have very clear understanding of what it feels like to have a proper meal. I eat until I'm satisfied. I do not get up from the table if I'm still hungry. I eat until I'm satisfied and I monitor that my foods leave me feeling amazing for about four to six hours where I feel energy, clarity of thought, no cravings, feel emotionally stable, satisfied with a flat belly, And because I do this on a consistent basis, my body is not in this fight or flight state with the high, low blood sugar, which is a massive threat to the body. And I don't even think about it. Like, I I don't, when I sit down to eat, I am in such a space of gratitude for the food, for the experience. I love my food. 
Like I, I, that's one of the beautiful things that I want to encourage people to do is like food is such a beautiful experience. The, the spices, the herbs, the colors, the smells, um, the textures, um, you know, like just the, the connecting with the land and where that food comes from, then bringing it to your home and then connecting with the people in your family and preparing a delicious meal and everybody having their own experience and eating what works for them. You're not having to control and be the food police telling people what to eat and, you know, just sitting down and making love to that food and letting it, you know, give you an orgasmic experience, you know, because that is what food can be. And, you know, like, what do we do today? It's it, eating has become a mathematical equation. Let me count everything. Let me measure everything. There's no enjoyment. There's no nothing unless you go on a binge of things that don't serve you. So there's this dance between the deprivation and then going down the path of things that don't even really serve your body so what I propose is let's connect with what works for us let's really build a beautiful relationship with food where we enjoy it where we're not worrying about food because one of the things that happens is if you sit in front of a plate of food and you see that food as the enemy you are not going to create the optimal environment in your body parasympathetic state to digest that food you're going to go sympathetic which is a fight or flight your digestion shuts down and this is a rejection of what you are about to eat that is not conducive to health mm. it's conducive to a mental health issue definitely and that's so many people sitting there um i hope everyone heard that that it just took me on a lovely story when you were just describing how food was amazing and how freeing is that for people to just sit there and just enjoy their food and not worry about well i was told not to eat this by this expert i was told i should eat this by another expert my friend followed this diet and she lost loads of weight so i should do what she's doing but how crazy is it that so many of us are on that horrible cycle when if you just get rid of it all and pull it back to basics and try and understand what works for you. Yeah. You don't have to listen to it. It's it's such a beautiful process because, um, you know, like we have this amazing innate intelligence. Our body is full of wisdom and we have something called instinct. And that instinct drives us like every animal here. Do you think the animals are arguing because the zebras are eating plants and the lions are eating animals and having arguments, you know, based on righteousness about, you know, who's more spiritual than the other because of the way they eat. Um, they're not doing that. They just know what to eat. And that's how we should be. Like that's the, the, the instinct that drives us to the things that nourish us. Um, and then we have the innate intelligence when, when we find foods in nature, that innate intelligence through the language of symptoms lets us know this choice favors our, my survival or this choice compromises my survival. It favors my survival because I feel energy, clarity of thought, no cravings, emotionally stable, satisfied. There's no gas, there's no blows. I, I don't even feel like I've eaten because there's nothing going on in my belly. My belly is just totally flat and there's nothing happening there. Not because I'm numb but because there's no cries for help. But if I eat something that doesn't favor my survival and compromises it, I'm going to get a whole host of symptoms because my body's job is to help me survive. The language of symptoms is about communicating with us what doesn't work for us. But in this society, we have been taught to shoot the messenger, the symptom through all of these agents that make us numb. And one of those things, it's actually through our intellect 
by justifying engaging in behaviors that work against us so that we are in loyalty and compliance to an expert outside of us. Yeah. So, yeah. So the experts in health, wellness, fitness, those sort of things telling you to follow this sort of diet because it's good, you know, like Mediterranean, keto, like everything, just like low calorie, high calorie, just carbs, no carbs. You just whirlwind, don't eat eggs, eat eggs. Like it's crazy. Yeah. And, and I actually have this little thing that, you know, like it's so confusing for people because as they're scrolling through social media or anywhere in their environment, you know, this expert with these impressive credentials and research tells you that you need to eat this way. And then you go the next day and you find another expert with the same impressive credentials, just as impressive research telling you to eat the total opposite. And then it leaves people so confused about what to eat because if you intellectualize your food based on research then you are on very shaky territory because the minute that somebody challenges that intellectual belief you crumble and you start second guessing yourself and all this but if you actually realize that there's all these different perspectives because we're all different and no researcher is wrong and no researcher is right There's elements of truth everywhere because this works for this person. This works for this other person. And you step outside of that arrogance of trying to tell people what they should do and how they should eat. And you step into humbleness. And what you do is you invite people to become curious about what works for them. And so I say to people, I've been doing this 23 years and Uh, You know, people ask me, what do I eat? And I say, well, like, what should I eat? And I say, as an expert in meat, I cannot claim to know you. But what I can do is I can take you through a step-by-step self-discovery journey that will help you connect with what works for you. And it's about you um, going through a process of healing where you have been taught to dismiss your inner guidance and to give your power away to the guidance of the people outside of you. So this is an issue with trust. It's an issue with self-trust, people not trusting themselves, people not trusting their bodies. So this is a whole reconnection process where it's about inviting people to reconnect with themselves, with their bodies, with nature, with ancestral wisdom, and then trust what their bodies are telling them. And uh, this is how I don't, you know, if, you know, the biggest expert in nutrition comes to me to tell me that my diet is wrong, not from the energy of arrogance, but from the energy of, okay, I've been experimenting for the last, you know, like since I can remember, because I started basically on this journey at a very early age, started playing around with food since I was like 13. Um, Then when, you know, on the vegan thing, when I was 18, like this is almost my entire life. So you are going to tell me that based on your ideas, my perceptions and how I feel are wrong. I find that very interesting. Mm -hmm. And while that may work for you and I can respect that and celebrate that, you know, let let me give you an example. So let's say, well, you should be eating chicken breast with, um, you know, some broccoli and some brown rice and I don't know, maybe an orange juice or I don't know, whatever. If I eat that, like I crash, I'm hungry an hour later, I'm dying. But if I sit down with a steak, ideally steak on bone, or like some ribs, some beef ribs, 
and I have like some uh, caramelized carrots and maybe uh, some sauerkraut. And, you know, those carrots have been caramelized in butter, whatever. And the entire plate is pretty much covered in those ribs. And I walk out of there feeling like a million bucks for about six hours, just stable, ready to go. No need for caffeine. I don't drink caffeine. I don't drink alcohol to self-medicate. I don't, I don't do any of those things because I've learned how to produce energy naturally. So who's right? My body's innate intelligence or somebody's intellectualized idea of how it should be. So that, you know, and, and that's why as I was creating my program, I was like, okay, well, first we need to ask nature because we need to understand the foods that we've evolved with and help people recognize the difference between pseudo natural foods and all these things that they're trying to market to us through all these gimmicks. Um, and then, okay, well, let's ask our body, ask nature, then ask your body, what foods are right for you? Like you can look at a food out there and it can tell you that it's got this amazing nutritional profile. And you can think, wow, this is such an amazing food and everybody's recommending it. But you know what determines whether a food is good for you or not? It's your body. And for some people, an apple could be an incredible food. And for other people, let's say somebody who's got irritable bowel and has like issues with FODMAPs and can't properly break down certain types of sugars uh, or alterations in the microbiome, that's like recipe for disaster. So who is the individual? And what 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 environment is in their body what are their um um their the their inherited traits and at the same time what is the the environment that has been created the the their environment in their gut in their microbiome um you know like so many factors that what what weather are they in what climate are they in because all these different things play around with our needs for food so mm-hmm. it's about it's not about locking ourselves in a, in a in a food plan with counting things. It's about understanding the body and being able to flow because you understand and you can manage your relationship to food, no matter what environment you're in. That's amazing. Um, I, I wanted to step back cause I, we spoke briefly around the calorie counting cause this is a big one for people. And I loved what you were saying before we went live around the control and having to have that from our upbringing. Can we go into a little bit of that to help people understand why they feel the need to carry count? Yeah. So uh, the first thing that I would say is that the first thing we do when we're born is we put our mom's nipple in her mouth and we feed and that's how we self-soothe. It calms us down. So there is this relationship between our mouth and self-soothing and if we were not given tools throughout our formative years to learn how to self-soothe we're going to find all kinds of things um, including food cigarettes alcohol you name it you know biting nails all kinds of things that we do to self-soothe through our mouth and um, and most of them can be quite self-destructive and you know, when we think about self-soothing, one of the things that we seek to self-soothe from is feelings of uh, being out of control. So, you know, like we want to, when we feel out of control, we want to self-soothe so we can feel in control. Does that make sense? So there's a very intimate relationship between um, our feelings of being in control, out of control. And then we project that painful relationship that we have with self-soothing, with control 
onto food, onto body image, onto the people around us, etc. So, for example, when we go into a very left brain activity, like counting calories, <laughs> so the left brain, the masculine energy is all about control, domination, then I feel like I'm in control, I can dominate this and I can control my body. And I know, you know, like if I eat these many calories and I exercise for this long on the treadmill and I do this and I do that, then the mathematical equation tells me that this is what should be happening in my body. <laughs> Does that make sense? So true. I'm just thinking about everything, every all my life and everyone else's life. Just this is yeah. Yeah, because it's it's the masculinization and the over intellectualization, you know, like um, as as Mark, my husband says, let science guide you, but never lead you. You know, mm-hmm. we can learn from, you know, everything. And, and then, you know, we've completely disconnected from our ability to feel food, from understanding, you know, like, what is it that we're really seeking when we're having these relationships with food? And how can I learn to understand, first of all, that the only thing that I can control is my perception? Because life is just completely unpredictable and learn to feel safe within that unpredictability and learn that what I can do is I can manage situations, but I can't control, right? So, um, and that's the hardest thing for somebody who's very locked in their masculine energy to embrace and to accept because it's like the masculine, like, let me give you an example of the masculine energy and the feminine energy and the, to, to get this concept a little bit better. So you have a flower. And the feminine energy wants to smell that flower, wants to feel the flower, wants to look at the flower. It's like it gets inspired by the flower, by the magic, by the beauty, by the mystery. That's the feminine energy. It's mysterious. It's abstract. It's, you know, it's feeling. And the masculine energy wants to come in and it wants to control the flower. It wants to understand why the flower's petals are red and why the stem is like this and why, you know, like it wants to control it. And, you know, we've been given these both sides to ourselves, our masculine or feminine energy, because just like we were given two legs, we're more efficient when we learn how to balance and walk on both. Same way, if we can learn to have that balance between our right and our left brain, our masculine, feminine, feminine energy, then we can be a lot more relaxed and a lot more flowy in our relationship with things. And food is no exception to that. That's why I was saying it's like, like my invitation is let's get out of that left logical, rational, because it puts you in that stress, fight or flight response and it creates a painful relationship with food let's go into the mystical into the magical art of food preparation it's you're making a potion of connection of magic of that's definitely what's missed isn't it I think we tell ourselves that we don't know how to cook um and we're busy we're too busy there's too much going on so it's easier to buy packet foods and it's quick and it's convenient because we're busy and it's We've lost let, let me just destroy that in two seconds. Yeah, please, <laughs> please. Destroy that in two seconds. So moms, especially of newborns, are, yes, the child is all demanding, all consuming. And, you know, that can be a, real, a reality uh, for some women, um, especially if they don't have help. And I've had a number of clients in that situation. It's very challenging. But there are strategies that can be put in place that allow you to create some kind of order and structure so that you can do this and learning to ask for help. Mm, That's a big one for people. Right. Because a lot of them get into this very masculine energy of I have to do it all. I have to do all because in my upbringing, I was taught that. I should navigate my motherhood through the shadow side of the motherhood, which is the martyr that puts everybody on top of me. And for me, the little crumbs 
at the end of the day, if at all, which is the recipe for resentment. So it's about, and never learn asking for help because it's a sign of weakness or whatever. And I've got to be the super mom. So it's about, you know, connecting with the humbleness of I need help. My child needs help and support and finding a community or a partner or somebody that you can create that balanced relationship with so that you can have that space. Because this is a thing. If you are not well-nourished, if you're not rested, et cetera, all of that is going to translate into your parenting abilities, right? So um, that's one thing. And then, and then the other thing is um, with moms that, you know, like children are a little bit older, um, how much time do you spend on social media? Scrolling on the wall or watching Netflix exactly. or doing things that give you zero return on investment, and that leave you feeling worse after you've engaged in the behavior than better. So how much of that time could you actually invest into the kitchen, not just for your own nourishment, for, but for the nourishment of your family? Because they've taught us that cooking is an act of disempowerment. How dare they? They gave me a blender for my birthday. Like, oh my God, you gave me a blender? Like, I'm making, let's make some, some coconut milk. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like that why? again, isn't it? It's like you're. I don't want to be the housewife or something, and it's yeah. like well, why not? Like, and especially if you're very in the masculine energy, surely doing something more feminine to get that balance back in is going to really suit. Right, and you know what? Like, the kitchen is a therapy. It's such a beautiful place. It's such a source of reconnection. It's a source of joy. It's yeah. it's we heal this relationship with food you know like we are magicians like we go in there like we create potions and and we channel this love and this energy into food that is nourishment it really is um it really is therapy because especially coming from a mum's point of view you you get a break from being a mum just to to make your potions as you put it and um, I used to tell myself that I wasn't a good cook and I I was too busy. Um, but then becoming a mum, I want to know what my children are eating. So I start investigating and I start researching and I start stop telling myself that this is just for a housewife. I had that label as well. It's like, well, so what? Like, I'm actually creating something and I want to know what food my children are eating and I'm eating too. Um, playing around with liver recently as well actually we just made some liver uh some dehydrated liver like it's actually dehydrated liver. okay i'm trying to get liver into our diet but i don't like the taste so i'm trying to research a lot of different ways my four-year-old loves it my seven-month-old loves it and my husband love it but it's just me who's trying to find better ways of getting it in <laughs> you're not alone and that's exactly why that liver is in that dehydrator like liver is just one of the most nourishing foods out there oh, it's yeah. like the super food of super foods like the highest nutritional content it's super bioavailable it's amazing and um to buy because no one wants it so I'm like yeah. <laughs> why is that like 90 cents for like this massive beef liver right exactly and um so I don't like it either. And so what I do is I cut it into strips or Mark cuts it into strips or me, whoever is doing it, like into thin strips. And we put it in a dehydrator 
And then um, like Mark actually likes the, the dehydrated liver. We give it to our pets as well. And, um, and I grind them and I put them in empty gelatin capsules. So I have a thing like this big. Yeah. Of capsules. And that's my pre-workout. Oh, amazing. So you don't even taste yeah. it then, but you're getting it. No, no taste whatsoever. I have, I have, uh, cause I use like really big capsules so I have like four of those big capsules and then I have three of a blend of other organs. I don't make those because they're a little bit more uh, smelly and uh, it's a little bit more of a tedious process. So I buy a blend that has a variety of organs because I eat nose to tail, basically yeah. the entire animal. Um, and then I have the liver like that. So every day before my workout, um, I have, it's food, you know, it's just dehydrated um, yeah. and the capsules. And I have that uh, before working out. With some water and and how amazing would this be to help mothers postpartum when so many people are anemic oh my god well my mom when I was born like I weighed 10 kilos and my mom is tiny like wow. tiny and like I'm, I'm 170 centimeters my mom is like 158 something like that and she gave birth to a 10 pound baby and I was also like really tall as well uh as a baby and um and my mom was and they thought she was gonna have twins so and then yeah my mom came out with like the worst anemia and then through ancestral wisdom you know in the kitchen um our nanny um taught her or prepared for her um like this um it's this liver preparation it's like a liver broth that they make and that got my mom out, out of this very severe anemia yeah, amazing. Liver is incredible. It's incredible. So anyone listening, get on the liver wagon. If you don't like it, try and figure out ways to help you get it into your system. Yeah. Yeah, get creative. Get cre and sometimes like, you know, like I also uh chop up different uh with the chicken liver cuz I get the chicken here like I get it from the farmer so it comes with everything. Oh yeah, um, literally feathers everything and you have to well, mine is a feathers he's plucked the feathers okay and him to actually just chop it you know because like um so so what I do is I take the, um, the what do you call it the um the all the organs from the chicken and sometimes I'll cut them up into like little pieces put some apple cider vinegar and just drink it like oh. swallow it yeah, it doesn't taste like anything. And then I'll put a few drops of oregano in my mouth to just oil of oregano to make the taste like completely disappear. But right. it's like another way to get, you know, like uh, those raw organs. Like in ancestral cultures, they would save the organs for pregnant women and for the warriors. Yeah, nice. Powerful they are. They understood. And, and if you look at an animal, when they kill, the first thing they go for is the organs. Like I feed my dogs a raw food diet and um, if I put, um, and also like, you know, they, they love the marrow as well, but it's really interesting. So I'll put liver and organs. I'll put um, the marrow. I'll put uh, some soft bone, uh, some muscle, and they will go first for the organs. Amazing. But yeah, that's so interesting. I remember my cat to, like always uh, catching giant rabbits and always the organs go first. Exactly. Because it's the most nutrient dense because they're instinct healthy. And I actually want to, I want to talk a little bit about that because I think that that's really important. So um, it was really interesting. There's this video of these dogs. So imagine that somebody grabs like a teddy bear 
And so they have the dog's kibble. And so they bring the teddy bear up to the dog's kibble. And then the, they pretend that the little teddy bear is eating the kibble. And then the teddy bear dies. You know, like they pretend that the teddy bear dies. And the dogs run away from the kibble. In some cases, the dogs have had kibble in their mouth. And when they see that, they do that with the teddy bear. And the teddy bear dies, they spit the kibble out. Wow. They're okay. healthy. They're connected with their innate intelligence that tells them, this is poison. Don't do it. But humans, oh, no, no, no. They will go and they will continue eating the poison because the TV said so. Yeah. Um, or, you know, it's whatever. Efficiency over health. Or, yeah, or, or or science said that it's okay to do it. Or my nutritionist yeah. told me I should do this. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that I realized, you know, so I work with clients with all kinds of issues um, or challenges, which are lessons is how I like to call it, just a, with uh, lessons to be learned, like yeah. all of us. Um, and, um, they, they would come to me for many, many different reasons. Some people, because they wanted to lose weight, some people, because they had a degenerative health condition, some people were under massive levels of stress. I mean, the, the reasons why they came to me were very different. And my job is to get to the root of the issue and address it at that level, instead of playing patch the symptom game. Right. So, um, but then, so I had to do like some comprehensive, you know, I have a little comprehensive system that I use to, to assess and evaluate. And I started to realize that, you know, you would think that they all had very different underlying issues. But what I realized is that they all had the same thing, but I just hadn't found the language to explain what the actual issue was um, or challenge was. And then I was reading this book. It's called Women Who Run With The Wolves. And there were two words there that were not related to what we're talking about. But I just saw those two words. And that for me was like, oh my God, this is exactly what I'm seeing. Those two words is instinct injury. People today are instinct injured. And what that means, as I understand it, is that they are walking around with a broken inner compass, meaning they feel lost and they feel like they can't trust themselves. They can't trust their inner guidance. They can't even trust their own perception. Um, because they're disconnected from nature, they're disconnected from their bodies, they're disconnected from ancestral wisdom, and they're disconnected from source, whatever that means to the individual. Um, and, um, and they can't trust themselves. And so when you're in that state, because the way that most of us would, would were brought up was dismiss your inner guidance, trust the guidance of the experts outside of you. Um, and then most people are in that space where their instinct injured and they're disconnected from that and they're disconnected from their inner guys instinct innate intelligence intuition and their own integrity and because they are they're in an infantilized state in a childish state where when we don't feel safe and we go into fear like we get regressed to that infantile state think about when you're a child and you're scared and you don't know how to live your life you need mom and dad to guide you. So what happens is that when we put ourselves in that situation and we feel scared and like we can't trust ourselves, we seek surrogate mother and father figures in the outside world to tell us how to live. And this is what we're seeing, in my opinion, outside is people who cannot trust themselves because they don't know themselves. Because, you know, if I ask people, how much of your life have you spent trying to understand the outside world versus how much of your life have you spent trying to get to know yourself and connect with your inner world? And the discrepancy 
tends to be humongous. And so, yeah, it's about mastering the outside world, but there's zero self-mastery. So like what I like to do is take people on this journey into knowing themselves so that they can master themselves at a physical, sexual, intuitive, um, emotional, um, self-expression or will expression, um, mental and spiritual level, not by giving them my version of what that is, but by supporting that self-discovery, uh, journey into discovering, because all of those are layers of power. If you don't have inner power structures, you're going to rely on the power structures of the outside world and you're going to give your power away to them and you're going to sell yourself out, etc. But if you self-discover, if you know who you are, if you have learned to build that physical power, that sexual power, that intuitive power, that emotional, like all those levels of power that I explored, you're a powerhouse. And, you know, this is a thing. If you are afraid of aging, I, I really want to reframe this because if you learn how to care for yourself and for your body so that you can reach your later years in a super healthy body. And at the same time, you're doing the work to get to know yourself and learn how to manage those levels of power. You have a healthy body with wisdom, which is something that young people cannot have. You mm. are a power house. That is our potential. That is our destiny. So all these fears about aging, all this fear about food, I'm going to get fat if I eat like our ancestors did. I'm, I'm going to do all this. It's all nonsense. It's all nonsense. It's just about disconnecting us further and further from true knowledge, from the wisdom, and most importantly, from the wisdom that the divine has embodied in everything that is also embodied in us. So my whole thing is about giving people tools so they heal that instinct injury and they learn to trust themselves so that you can, as you do that yourself, teach that to your children and put them through rites of passage where they learn how to manage each one of those levels of their own power. Yeah, lovely. It's not just about the food either, is it? It's it's everything. It's um like understanding stress because if you're in that high cortisol, what's going on with you, especially as a mum, like you're not getting sleep. Like I get woken up every two hours and I have done since for seven months so it's then trying to I mean what would you say for mums who aren't getting one of those basic things that you need in order to thrive yeah so look it's like it's it's like the case of people that have like night shift um yeah. and for example like they they can't like change that reality well you have to make sure that the other things are in place so that they can at least support you while you're doing that because you you bring in a very important concept it's stress so what is stress stress well as i understand stress is going up against the principles of nature and going against your nature who you are to me that's stress uh in other words is being out of harmony and so what happens is that um when you have more things in your life that are pulling you out of harmony with your circadian rhythm, which is part of nature, like your your sleep-wake cycle that should be in tune with the sun. Um, when you're being pulled out of nature because you're eating garbage food, when you're being pulled out of nature because you're afraid of the sun and you avoid it at all costs. And that on the cream and the hats. And, yeah. yeah, that 
the, the, the irony is that you, they've told us that it gives us cancer, um, but then we have to slather on a concoction of potential carcinogenic ingredients on our skin to protect us from the cancer that the sun was going to give us. Then and take then take the D because you're... Yeah, exactly. In exactly the... but but the thing is that the sun our relationship to the sun is not just about vitamin d it's about nitric nitric oxide it's about um uh energy production at the cellular level it's about balancing our hormonal system you want to lose weight we'll have a healthy relationship with the sun and with the sleep wake cycle and with you know like all these different things so when you because of x or y reason any one of those things in your life is compromised you have to make sure that all the other ones are in place to help your body compensate. If not, you just start like, um, you know, um, d- d- damaging your body. Like, yeah, it's very like- easy to spiral because you because yes. you're so tired. You you can't trust yes. your thoughts, so you're just like, I just need something to pick me up to get me through this part of the day, and then pick me up, and then get and like at the end of the day then you're just self-medicating because you're like, well, I'm going to have a wine or I'm going to have some chocolate because the kids are asleep and I just need to feel good in this moment or feel less bad or more good, as Mark would say. <laughs> yeah, and, and the interesting thing is that these are the beautiful stages with the children. And most people are trying to, like, um, like you're not giving... <laughs> uh? they're, they're trying to get through it, aren't they? Rather exactly. than just be in the moment and... They make you very present, children. Right, exactly. But if but if you don't know how to self-soothe and then you have a challenge, you want to dissociate, you know, and leave, and, and we become addicted to leaving, leaving, leaving. So presence is very challenging. Mm-hmm. So when we create situations so that we're super overwhelmed, we're super stressed, and we can give ourselves the excuse to dissociate you know, through food or through alcohol or through whatever we use to self-medicate. So yeah, it's, it's about the children bring us, bring us into the present moment, into being present to them because that more like children don't need 20 million activities. Mm-hmm. We teach them to get locked in the masculine energy of do, do, do. And I am significant when I'm doing. Um, and then you have clients that come to you that ha- have had that upbringing and, they're the ones that are workaholics and absolutely exhausted because they learn to get their emotional needs through overachieving. Um, they, they don't need that. They need presence. They need attention. They need affection. They need you. And I know, I understand that every mother has very different circumstances, financial circumstances, whatever, whatever, but within your own circumstances, like the presence that you can offer your child. And by the way, that child is learning how to treat itself based on how you treat yourself, not on what you say. So the painful relationship with food, with body image, with all of these things gets learned. But if, and does it have purpose? Yes, it does. It's necessary for us to go through these experiences. If not, it wouldn't happen. But it's also important. We're being given an opportunity, all of us right now to ask ourselves, okay, so this is the environment that I was created in and it's created these amazing things in my life and these very painful things in my life. Okay. Can I discern and can I continue doing the amazing things? And can I learn from the things that are maybe not giving me the best outcome so I can reframe it and I can in healing myself, heal the family lineage Mm. from the disconnect 
from the not knowing how to be present to myself so I can self-soothe and therefore be present um, uh, to my children and to, you know, these different, and by the way, as I'm saying this, I am absolutely not trying to, um, to discount or diminish the amount of stress and the complexities of motherhood. What we're doing is we're, we're, I'm talking in the extremes of black and white. So you can find the shades of gray into what fits into your lifestyle. It's not about perfection. It's not about inducing mommy guilt or anything like that. It's just about awareness and giving you enough to navigate it to the best of your ability. Yeah. Amazing. And it's, it's so true. And children teach us so much about ourselves. Like I, I didn't realize that I was not allowing myself to show an emotion like anger. I thought it was bad for um, me to express that because I was brought up not to show anger, always be happy, like go and hide yourself away don't show anger and then when I shared anger with my son I felt guilty but then I looked back and was actually like no that's okay now he understands what anger is and he can express that healthily and then let it go because he knows how to do that now that is so beautiful it's so beautiful it's so wise and it's so powerful in my opinion and uh the reason is because I've worked with so many clients that have exactly what you just described. And, and what I'll notice, what I've noticed is that for the females, it's like um, they are not allowed to express anger and they have had attached a lot of shame, myself included, by the way. Uh, by the way, uh, uh, minus um, physical motherhood, because I am not a biological mother to any child, but I am a mother to little Hemi. And I've had to, uh, like a huge part of the work that I do is reparenting. That's what I teach my clients is how to reparent themselves. So I've had to reparent myself and assess a lot of, you know, things in my upbringing with a lot of empathy, with a lot of respect and a lot of compassion for my parents um, and and the journeys that they they brought me on. Um, so anyway, what the things that I'm, I'm talking about is um, comes from a, a great level of uh, compassion. But uh, what I was saying is that um, we were not allowed to express anger and for the men um, the only emotion that is safe to express is anger yeah and they're not allowed to cry right so what happens is that that interferes with the development of our of our emotional intelligence because emotional intelligence is having the ability to be connected with ourselves so that we can experience the full spectrum of emotions and know when to tap into them um, based on context you know, so what happens is these people that never experienced, were not allowed to experience anything other than anger, then every emotion they feel, like I've had this uh, with my husband, you know, like uh, every emotion that he, you know, he would say under every circumstance, I'm angry, I'm angry, I'm angry. I'm angry. <laughs> I went to him like, wait a minute. Okay, let's just sit here and be like, okay, do I feel helpless? Is that what you're feeling right now? Do I feel, and not to parent him, but just as a couple to yeah. kind of like connect and, and develop that emotional intelligence and that ability to communicate emotion and uh and for the females you know like um it's like okay so you know is this thing that you're feeling like anger do you feel rage do you feel this do you feel that and and there's like it's such a it's such a spectrum of so many different emotions and when you learn i'm feeling right now helplessness i'm feeling right now ecstasy and joy i'm feeling right now 
you know, whatever it is, if you own shame about your emotions, then you start learning to facade. And remember how I said that stress is not only about going against nature and the sleep-wake cycles and, you know, not eating real food, et cetera, but it's also going against your nature. If you're facading Mm -hmm. all the time because you're disconnected from yourself and from the full spectrum of emotion that you are, then this can create even more stress. So it's about like that example that you gave is so beautiful because it's about giving people, you know, the experience of, look, this is, this is rage. I'm mommy. I'm, I'm showing you what rage is, what anger is. And then asking that child, what did this mean to you? Mm. You know, so that they can start developing that emotional intelligence and connecting with, oh, this is anger. Ah, okay. These situations have triggered this in me. And how do I want to respond to this? Yeah. And originally, he said, like, huh? originally, he said, I felt scared. But then mm-hmm. when I spoke to him afterwards, I said, I'm just expressing anger after I understood that that was okay, because I was still learning. Um, and I said to him that I was, I felt angry. So I expressed it. But then I went for a walk with you. And then I took some deep breaths. And then it had gone because I was able to do that. And he said, Oh, okay. So I think now, if I was to do that again, he'd be like, she's just angry. It's fine. And doesn't take it personally. Yeah. And doesn't don't shame and fear about what is this thing that she's doing? And I'm not allowed to, you know, connect with what this means to me. Mm. And so I'm going to, you know, like shut it off and push it down. And then I'll just put a happy face. Yeah. Even if people are abusing me, uh, yeah. you know, in the future, <laughs> which is what a lot of us learn to do. Yes. Wow. Um, I just want to ask you one more thing. I know we've run over. There's so much I want to ask you and keep asking you. We could do so many different episodes. So I'm just like, we could do parenting. We could do children and food. We could just do everything and stress section. Um, how would you, just to help people, maybe help them understand how to understand themselves now, is there anything little that they could start doing? Yeah. Um, the first thing, is to want to understand self because a lot of people are very scared of wanting to understand self because oftentimes when we try to self-explore and self-discover, we got met with shame, with bullying, with criticism, with whatever it was. Um, And so we've learned that it's not safe to go inside ourselves. So And the other thing that I would say is first is having the desire to do that. And then I have an incredible tool that is like, for me, it's the most powerful self-exploration tool ever. It's journaling. Why journaling? Because it allows parts of us to connect with other parts of us that we're not yet aware of. Uh, Journaling is an amazing tool to reparent that little girl or that little boy inside of us that is feeling lost and hurt. And it's the perfect way to help us reframe our painful uh, relationship with ourselves that we project onto our upbringing and the, and, and our world. Why? Because um, when we grow up, we tend to grow up with our mom and our father ego and the way that they spoke to us, the way that they spoke amongst themselves, et cetera. So if we experienced a lot of criticism and judgment when we go in to do inner work, we bring that mom, dad, ego, and we parent ourselves through that judgment and through that criticism. 
And what happens is that parts of us that are afraid of that judgment and that criticism hide from those parts of us. So then we engage in behaviors and we don't understand why we're engaging in those behaviors. But it's the little girl that's afraid and ashamed about something, doesn't want to tell parts of us because it feels that if it does, then we're going to judge and criticize and condemn her, mm. right? So then that secrecy, there, there's a secrecy between parts of us that disconnect us from parts of us. So it's about not going into do journaling with the judge archetype and condemnation. It's about going into do journaling with the curious child archetype. It's like, I'm sitting with a little girl, you know, and I'm just, I wonder why I do this. And I wonder why I do that instead of I'm so stupid. I shouldn't have done that. And like, oh my God, like, you know, and created this drama and it's more, it's more relaxed. It's like, I wonder why. And then, you know, if you connect with something painful, allowing yourself to cry and weep and have the emotions go through. And I say to people, for me, journaling is about giving a voice to my victim archetype. And why did this happen to me? And then, you know, like go through the whole literal expression of it, the rage, the anger, the the injustice, whatever it was. And if I don't do that, and I deny that that exists, I could go into spiritual bypass or I could lock myself up into victimhood. See the difference between giving the victim a voice is one thing in your own presence and you be present and you witness yourself or else I'm going to expect other people to do that for me all the time. Mm -hmm. And then the only way I learn to relate to others is through my victim archetype. Right. So so first is, sorry, can I just finish this? Yeah. First giving the voice to the victim and asking, why did this happen to me? And then giving the voice to um, the, uh, it could be the um, um, the alchemist archetype or the superhero archetype. Um, and we can ask a different question. Why did this happen for me? Hmm. So what we do is we go from the literal painful experience And then we take that pain and now we take it to the realm of the symbolic. And now we ask a different question. Why did this happen for me? So that I can stand, understand the purpose, find the lesson and be able to have a rite of passage into a higher level of power instead of staying, because I've understood the lesson Mm -hmm. instead of staying stuck in this cycle and in this pain. And that's how we activate our mystical parents. You know, it's like, I'm learning to reparent myself in the way that I want it to be parented through attention, through um, respect, through presence. But my mom and my dad, well, my dad is dead. My mom is in a different stage of her life. They're not going to do that for me now. And I'm craving it. You know, I was craving it. So I had to learn how to do that for myself and activate those mystical parents. So I could reparent little Himi. And instead of, you know, getting lost in, you know, like I need to be an adult like this and this and that. Like I'm in my playful energy. Like I even changed my name from Jimena, which is my actual name to Himi, which is what I was called when I was a little girl. So I'm centered in my little girl energy and she's sitting with all of you here, you know, like she's sitting with little Lara and little 
uh, Monica and little Mary, all of you that are listening to us, like this is my little girl talking to your little girl and connecting uh, with her, you know, and inviting, inviting uh, those little girls to, um, to connect with their magic and their healing and, you know, the full spectrum of emotion because there's lessons there. So that's what I would offer about that. So sorry, I just wanted to. Yeah, it was brilliant. Really good. Um, I, love that you've spun it around and made it more empowering and saying why did this happen for me because so many of us think oh you know all of this woe is me victim sort of mindset um how would you help someone how do they go into journaling so say if they example they're in a scenario maybe as a common one for a mum at the end of the day rather than self-medicating in that moment is that the perfect time to then get a book and just write about what's going on for them yes yes like you can do it at night you can do it in the middle of the day you can do it in the morning I like to wake up and um and uh I like to process what happened the day before or if I have dreams then Mm -hmm. I'll write my dreams and I'll connect with what those those dreams meant to me I connect with the feeling of the dream not with the things I saw but just the the underlying feeling and then I can tie it to other things in my life. But um, you can do it at night and just process the day. If your child really challenged you, then you can write about that and what it reminded you about your upbringing, because maybe there's something that you need to heal uh, from your own upbringing, you know? So if if you, um, you see, this is when I said that when we go, when we uh, take our mom's milk, you know, it soothes us. So we keep seeking things in our mouth. Um, then one, and if we haven't been given the tools to learn how to self-soothe, one of those tools is journaling. It's about reconnecting and, 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 um, and reparenting the parts of us so we can learn how to self-soothe. And instead of running away from our emotions, being present to our emotions. So that child is teaching you a million lessons every day, a million lessons. So the question is, do I want to be present to that child and connect with what that child is teaching me so that I can heal those wounds from my own upbringing and then now give them a different parenting experience, for example. So you can ask questions. I wonder why I felt so angry when he did blah, 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 or when he said da, 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 or, oh my God, like, thank you so much. I feel so blessed that you've brought this little soul into my life because today it said blah, 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 or it did blah, 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 you know, and just connecting with the appreciation because the journaling is not just about processing the pain, but it's also about processing the, the, the blessings and all the magical things that we have. And it's about you really being able to connect with the magic that motherhood is. It's the biggest gift. Like think about it. I mean, Talk about sexual power. You took the love of a man and your love and through your second energy center, you created a body that was made from your own body and you brought in this beautiful soul. I mean, if that's not power and magic and just respect at all levels, I don't know what is. So you've had that mystical experience that transformed you, your body, everything. And now 
enjoy your creation. Like connect with it. Let it teach you what it came here to teach you and your soul. Sit with it. Be present. Take that journal and ask yourself questions about how you are experiencing your experience, not just with the child, but also as you feel like maybe parts of you are um, uh, in the little closet because, you know, like now the child is taking all of your energy and all of your attention. Give that a voice and let yourself feel that maybe you don't have enough time to do other things that you want to do and process it instead of building resentment. That's wonderful to end on. Thank you so much. That's a really lovely way to put things as being a parent and putting it more in that positive spin because it's it is amazing like you've grown this human inside you and they're walking around and they're their own little beings and you're like it blows your mind every time you're like I did that I did that like that how like it was inside me and now what it's like an alien sort of (laughs) it's it's so magical and this is why you know like it's it's about us having a deep sense of respect for our parents uh, and everything they did was just, and I, I want to say this to, to the moms because, um, you know, I, I work with moms, I work with daughters, you know what I mean? Like with, with the two archetypes um, of the female, with the sister archetype, with the mother archetype, with the daughter archetype, with, like with all these different archetypes and a constant fear and theme is the mother's always feeling like they're not doing enough and like they're not being enough. And like, I'm going to mess up my child. And and if I could say something is whatever you act out with your child is exactly what that child needs for their life. Every single painful experience that I had with my parents, every one of them, I would not take it back because it has created the pain, the wounds that I came here to soothe and to heal myself. They were my biggest gifts, along with all the other magical experiences that I had from them and the talents that I've developed as a result of being around them. It's the whole package, as I understand it, is perfect. It's perfect. So if we could take off that fear that I'm going to mess up, no, it's perfect. It's beautiful. And at the same time, you are working on healing yourself and showing up as an even more magical version to that child but you're already perfect as you are that's so lovely to end on because it's a big thing for mums there's too much pressure we put on ourselves to be perfect and not mess up our kids and yeah it's a lot of and and, and the last thing I want to say is you know what like children was right were raised by a community it took so many people in the community and now it's expected for one person or two you know if if the family is is uh, together to do all that i mean honestly i don't even know how moms do it i i really don't mm. i really don't because that that's like a superpower but what i'm saying is please please learn to ask for help you are not meant to do this on your own that's not how it was designed that we were in tribes we were in communities like the mother some would take care of the children while some were cooking so like build community mm. so you can help yourself 
like gather with a group of four moms uh, that are, you know, have children. And then, you know, like some uh, do cooking, some do this. Like, I, I don't know, figure it out based on your lifestyle, your community, but bring back community. That's what I would say. So you don't have to feel like your entire life is put on hold or gone. And you can really start enjoying your children, which is the biggest creation that you will ever make. Mm. Another little soul. How lovely. Thanks so much, Amy. That's been amazing. And I'm actually going to share a link to your power resource and to how people can get hold of you um, to work with you as well in the show notes. Um, thank you so much again. Um, and this has been uh, Lara at Real Talk for Mums. If anyone has questions for Hemi, I'm sure um, if you drop me an email through to realtalkformums at gmail.com, I can get you to answer any if they come through if you don't mind that would be amazing (laughs) do as we can do another day another session and i can answer the different calls that come in if you want to wonderful yeah okay so if we get some questions questions. amazing okay thanks so much again thank you I'm not afraid of